This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody, to our last and final Midos class. The journey of Midos is coming to a conclusion um, with this one. It sounds very sad, but we're going to be back after the end of Mitzvah with some new and exciting things, which we don't know what they are yet. <laughs> We've been talking about this for a number of weeks, so if you have any suggestions, just let us know. There's a lot of things in the works, but we'll finalize over the next few weeks. So this is the final, final, final Midah. For those of you who are already on this Madrega, you're probably levitating above the ground because you worked on yourself and you've gotten yourself to the point where you're mamish, just all of your Midos are just in sync and in line and you're, everything's just working together. So this last Midah, if I may say, is probably A, the most all-inclusive of all the Midos, and B is probably the absolute hardest of all the Midos. Okay, so if you if you haven't worked on anything until now, it's a good time to get started. And if you're just tuning in, like on Torah anytime to this series, definitely go back and start watching some of the other classes because it's very very hard to just jump straight into this one. I have to say, but I think if you ask me, if a person wants to like really really do some internal work, some real internal aveda. This one is probably where it's where it's at. Now, a lot of people talk about this midah, and I'll, t- I'll reveal what it is in a second, okay? So I know you're all on the edges of, of your seat. Um, a lot of people talk about this in a way that I think they think is for like malachim and tzaddikim and like people from like a different generation. But the truth is, it's probably more applicable to today, to now, to our generation than it ever was before. So what is this midah? The 13th and final midah of a person working on themselves is the midah of precious. Precious. So when most people hear the word precious, they think that means that you become a monk and you live in a cave and you just do your own thing and you run away from everything that has to do with this world and this planet. And then you become like a pirish. And in fact, in the days of, you know, Chazal, there was something called the Purushim, the people who separated themselves. So you think like, I got to get myself to this point where mamish, it's like me and a candle and a Gemara and a Mesil Sisharim and that's it and nothing else. And that is precious. But in fact, like probably every other media that we embarked on, it's like absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. So tonight, let's unpack what it means to actually be a parish and understand what it means to have a healthy relationship with literally everything in our lives. Okay, so let's go through this. So what is precious? Precious is as follows. It's actually something that we spoke about when we started learning the Sefer, Cheshben HaNefesh. We actually mentioned this one idea briefly, but we're going to talk about it more tonight. And that is that a person, shockingly, is a neshama. And they are enveloped in their body. And therefore, we're put into this world with this balance between a neshama that wants to only be mishana, it wants to grow, it wants to change, it wants to accomplish, it feels good when it actually works, it feels depressed when it's laying in bed and doing nothing and just scrolling Instagram or it feels, it feels like a mess when it doesn't have good things going for it and it feels alive and amazing when it has good things going for it. That's your neshama. And it's put into this body that just wants to sit there and do nothing and eat, drink, sleep, be merry and just, just that's it. That's what your body wants. And we're put into this world and we have this sort of this pull and push relationship. Precious is where a person recognizes that their entire set of priorities is completely upside down. So what does that mean? It means in a perfect world, a person who's put into this world 
and who sort of had a divine a malach, or you're really in touch with your neshama, or you spoke to your rebbe, your mentor, your therapist, your, your mashkiach, whoever it was, and they would sit there every day, and they would turn to you, and they would say to you, here's the one message that you need to know today. What would be that message? The message is, is that you should live every single part of your life in some way, shape, or form, that the, the end goal for what you're doing is l'shem shemayim. You're doing it for, for your, your neshama. Your neshama is what's driving the car, not your body. That's what it is. Now, because we live in a world which is very materialistic, perhaps even more materialistic than, I don't know, maybe ever you know, before, we, we get very blindsided. And what happens is, is that food becomes like a whole to-do. And, and every single part of our life, we sort of get like pulled in our, our focus gets pulled into like a direction which is not necessarily focused on the neshama. And we're going to talk tonight about an idea you may have heard before, ego-driven or ego-focused versus neshama-focused. And the idea of prechos is a person stopping and realizing that I have a drink, this drink can give me substance. So first of all, I could appreciate that there's a bari ilam. I could appreciate that he gave me ice. I could appreciate that he, he put this into this world to sustain me. It gives me kayach. It makes me feel hydrated. It allows me to teach tyrant. It allows me to be a good father, be a good husband. He gave me a table. I could sit at this table and bond with my family. If I look at the world and I realize that everything that I have around me is a way for me to connect to Hashem, through my family, through my learning, through my davening, through just being alive, if I view the world through that, then that is beautiful. But if I lose focus on that, and I sit down to my dining room table, and I go, wow, this is a big table. I could put a lot of food on this table. And my whole focus is, what's for supper? When are we eating it? How much are we serving? Can I have doubles? Can I have triples? Because it's about the food. I lose focus about the fact that the food is here to bring people together, then I, I lost focus. And preach is where I take a step back and I go, what are you, what are you, what are you doing right now? Like, it's, it's not about the food. It's not about the food. It's about what the food allows me to do. It's about what the table allows me to do. It's about what the house allows me to do. And unfortunately, a lot of people, he says, they, 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 they view their marriages through the lens of ego focus. What's in it for me? What can I pull out of it? They view their children as what's in it for me. They view their parents as what's in it for me. And if that's a person's focus, then their entire relationship with everything around them, everyone around them, becomes simply what's in it for me. It's about you. It's about your ego. That's a problem. A person then needs to stop and say to themselves, let me stop for a second. Let me get my life back on track. How do I do that? I have to be pirish. I have to separate this same item in my brain, from being something that's ego-driven to something that's neshama-driven. So that means as follows. If a person's relationship with food, let's call it on Shabbos, he's sitting there by the Shabbos table, and it's food, and more food, and more food, and more food, and that's his Shabbos, so that person needs to stop and say, I need to be pirish. Pirish doesn't mean you now starve yourself. It doesn't mean you go on Atkins, and you go on, on, on all these diets. It means you stop, and in your brain, you separate you have precious in your mind, in your brain. You say, that's not what food is. Food is about me connecting to other people. Food is about me enjoying Shabbos and saying, wow, this is a day that I, I, I don't have work. I could sit down. I could relax. I could focus on my family, on my learning. I could go for a walk with my wife. 
my husband, whatever, my parents, whoever, my friends, whatever, you, whatever, whatever's been going on in your life. That's what you do. You, you focus your entire attention to your neshama. That's what Prishas is. It doesn't mean you become a monk and you say, I can't eat anymore and I have to just meditate the rest of my life. No. Adraba. It's about a person saying, I'm going to take everything in my life and I'm going to make it a part of my overall mission in life. Now, you've probably heard many people say that, you know, our goal as Jews in this world, tikkanolam and like all these, you know, nice terms, a lot of people say, uh, one of our jobs is to elevate, elevate the physical, right? So how do you do that? How do you elevate the physical? So you hear people mistakenly say it means that you sit down to like a 47-course meal, right? Make a bracha with a lot of kavana, right? And then you make like so many brachas like on foods that you never saw and it's so esoteric and it's so out there that like as long as you make a bracha, like you've elevated the physical. That's the exact opposite of what it means to be a yid. Be a yid doesn't mean that you try out every taiva in this world, every food, every flavor, every every sauce, every way that you make a food and say, oh, but I did it l'shem shemayim. What does it mean you did it l'shem shemayim? That's not l'shem shemayim. When you're like stuffing yourself and you're ready to throw up and you keep stuffing yourself, that's not l'shem shemayim. Even if you told yourself that it's l'shem shemayim. It's really l'shem shemayim when your relationship with food is healthy. When your relationship with food is I'm not even thinking about it as like every minute, every day, every flavor, every everything. You don't get so worked up when the food is a little bit more or a little bit less, or it's a little bit more undercooked or less undercooked. That's not your focus, because your focus is more about the people around you. It's about the fact that you appreciate that like you're a person who's living in today's world. You're not starving. Hashem gave you food. He sustains you every single day. You 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 bench and you're like, wow. Like, words that we say all the time, but it's real. If you look at your food and you think of those words, then you're focused on your neshama. But if you look at your food and you're thinking about the flavors and the yichas of the wood, and, and the wood was first smoked so that it got this flavor, and then you put it into a barrel with that flavor, and then they put my piece of meat in there, then you're just, you're just the baltaiva. You're just somebody who just simply focused on yourself. And we could expand and expand and expand. And I literally made a list of like a thousand things. It literally works its way with food and with children and with relationships and with money and with every single thing that we have in our lives. You can either be completely ego-driven or you can be completely neshama-driven. And if a person doesn't know the difference, then they're probably not really focused on the things that they need to be focused on. So precious is a focus. It's a refocus of what is important and how do all the things around me fit into my tafkid in this world. My tafkid in this world is to get closer to Hashem. We sing the song all the time. Nobody ever knows the song. It's fine. It's a song that I like and I like singing it in my head. Okay, If somebody ever finds a song on Spotify or something, could send me the link. I have no idea where the song is, but there's a song. That's the song. It's a beautiful song. That It's not a song, by the way. It's Chazal, right? It's the goal of our life is to live with a higher purpose. So Precious is sort of putting that back in place. Now, there's a lot of I'm trying to think I had to had to word this, but I'll, I'll just throw in one thing and then we'll 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 break this down. Okay, the reason why I'm very passionate about this concept is because I hear a few things all the time from people. One is I hear people talking about, let's say, their spouse or their children, 
in certain ways where you can just easily discern that there's there's not a neshama focus here. Your your focus on this relationship is not a neshama focus. It's a focus on you, on on I'm not getting out of this relationship this, as opposed to saying this is what I need to be contributing to this relationship. You understand what I'm saying? That's one part. But the other part, which gets me very, very, I don't know, fa'ekled. For those of you who don't speak Yiddish, it means it means like fa'ekled. It's it, okay. What it means is like you hear people say like I'm a foodie or like I'm a TikToker. Or like I'm an Instagrammer. Like you hear these words and it's like, no, you're not. Like you're a Baltaiva. Like we sometimes have a hard time calling things what they are and we masquerade it as if it's something else. Like it's something other than what it actually is. And if you, if, if you, if you ever see like the headlines in the news, they'll say like TikToker calls out President Trump or whatever. And they're like, TikToker? Like Joe from from the Boondocks calls out the like, TikToker, like, you know what I'm saying? Like we we rename things to give them like something that they're that they're not, and that's why I think it's like so hard for people sometimes to like really be real with sort of with like what they're dealing with. So so that's that, you know? Okay, that's that. So uh, the reason why I think it's funny because somebody told me a story um, which I thought I thought was very funny. He said that he was teaching his kid to drive, so they got to the first red light and the kid stopped the car. Like, you know, so the father said to the kid as follows. So he said, listen, okay? Okay, good job. You stopped by the red light. He says, I need to tell you what you said, okay? The aside is, is that right now you stopped, you saw the red light, good. Let's say you're driving 2 o'clock in the morning, and it's it's late, you're hungry, you're tired, whatever, you came back from a wedding, and it's like a really long red light. And you decide you want to go through the light. This is what he tells his kid. Don't do this, but this is what he tells his kid, okay? He says... And you say, Henani, Muchan, Mizuman, to break the law. And psh, you go right through the red light. He says, as a father, I'm okay with that. He says, however, if it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you're tired, and you're groggy, and you pull up, and you push it, don't even see the red light, and you just drive through the red light without even seeing it, he says, as a father, that's a problem. Because you didn't even see it. You didn't even know what was going on, right? You didn't look right, you didn't look left. You just, you didn't see the red light. He says, if you can't, if you don't hop what's going on, then, then hand over the keys. You're not fit to drive a car, right? So that was his, his lesson at the red light. I thought it was very cute. So he's like, if you don't hop what you're doing, you want to break the law, fine. You understood you broke the law. But if you can't even be honest with yourself, like you didn't even see the stop sign, you just like flew right through, you, you got yourself killed. You don't even know when to start and when to stop. So I was laughing and I was like, okay, that's very interesting. In most things in our life, it's like that, right? Meaning, if we can't be honest with what we're labeling ourselves and other people and things around us, and we're calling, like, Toma Kedusha and Kedusha Toma, like, we don't even know what we're talking about, that's a problem. Because then, like, maybe we're in the wrong seat. But if we could be honest and say, like, this is good and this is bad, I'm going to say that perhaps that's the first steps of precious. The first steps of precious where a person says to himself, this is a go and this is a no, right? This is a go and this is stop. Like, I realize, like, I stop. Like, instead of me convincing myself that, like, my relationship with food is healthy, I'm going to tell myself, it's really not. I'm going to be very honest. It's really not. I'm going to be honest. I'm not just going to try to bluff my way through and say, like, no, it was just Chavez. There's no calories on Chavez. No, call it what it is. You have a problem. If you can't recognize that that's a stop sign, then you have a problem. You're just, you know what I'm saying? You're going to balloon up to 900 pounds and be like, no, it's Lukavit Chavez Kaidesh. And, you know, Aaron Akayan was heavy. You know what I'm saying? You'll start quoting Chazal that, like, you're pulling out of, like, where are you pulling this from? Just, just to, like, red Zachai and, like, convince yourself that, like, your, 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 your view on it 
is what it is. And that's a problem. That's a bigger problem than recognizing that you have a problem. Okay, so that's number one. I'll just add one more thing to this, which I think is very important, is that <laughs> is that there are people who go through processes through either trauma or therapy where you you see them where they sort of break open. So they can sometimes live their life behind like a certain veil which they put up and then when they when they go through like a process of breaking themselves, oftentimes it's like a relief. Like you're like, oh, now you're being honest with me. Before you were like, yeah, I don't know, yeah, we're... And then all of a sudden like those smokes and mirrors are gone. I think that the step one of precious is that those smokes and mirrors are gone. Where it's a person being very real and honest with themselves. With everything that they have in their life, this is good, this is bad. This is healthy, this is unhealthy. And you live your life with a real, real honesty. Now the second the second layer here to this Mida is that the Mida has essentially four parts. And the way he presents it is is very poetic, and I'll break this down the way that I understand this, but again, feel free to expand on this as you wish. So there's four sort of four stages <laughs> to how this goes. Excuse me, I made a broth already, I am Jewish. Okay, so sort of four stages to how this goes, okay? So step number one is that on a consistent basis, we are inundated with information. And information could either be children, it could be a table, it could be food, it, it could be it could be anything on the planet that you have exposure to. Okay, so that's step number one. And that exposure, as it gets processed by a person, is sort of what relays how that person relates to that item. Okay, so for example, and if you're dating, you could try this on a date. You could ask a guy like, oh, you know, what, what are your thoughts about, you know, Biden's speech in the UN, right? You have exposure to something. And then you could talk it through. And a person might say, this was good, this was bad. What are your thoughts about, you know, the whole England mourning Queen Elizabeth for 10 days straight and not doing anything other than mourning her? What do you think about that? Is that good, bad, healthy, unhealthy? You know, your concept of malucha, the yam hadin, whatever you want to talk about, you could talk about. But like, you have exposure to something and, and, and it impacts you. It impacts your thoughts. It impacts everything, right? So step one is exposure. That's step number one, okay? The next three steps are now what you do with that exposure. So he calls it as follows. He calls it Ibor, which is conception, Leda, which is birth, and Gidol, which is raising it. And I'll explain to you how he explains it. Okay? (laughs) Ibor, the concept of conception, is that whatever this exposure was, it now starts to grow in your mind. So you start to think about it. Okay? So maybe you didn't think about the fact that the Queen of England died, and now today you're like, oh, yeah, she's dead? Yeah, she's dead. And they mourned her for 10 days. Oh, I never thought, I never knew that. Great. So welcome to planet America. And that's what happened. Now, what are your thoughts about it? So the exposure is step number one. Now you start to think about it. Mm, it's very nice. It's not nice. I think it's a smart thing, not a smart thing, right? Your brain starts to like go through whatever it is, okay? That's step number two. So step one is exposure. And then the next three steps, so step two <laughs> is Ebert. It starts to germinate in your mind. The next step is that you start to talk about it. You start to talk to your friend and you go, hey, like, you know, what do you think about this queen lady? Like, you know, was she anything special? Like, who was she? What's going on? I apologize for those of you who are in England who are watching the share. I know you're ready to shaft me, but um, she's very hushiv and it's very important. I really have no opinion on this matter, but I'm just throwing this out there as an example. Okay. So, you start talking about it, and you're schmoozing about it at the Shabbos table. You're talking about it with your friends, and this idea is now is now growing. It's like it's like growing to the point where it becomes like 
He calls it a leda. It's like a birth. It, it, it's now not in your mind. It's now out there in the world. People are discussing it. Okay. Step number two of this of this last three. Okay. And the third step is that your actions now to start get affected by whatever it is. So if you think about food, right? You're walking down the street, smells good. Okay. You think, hmm, I like pizza. Okay. You turn to your friend, hey, you want pizza? I want pizza. You want pizza? But next thing you know, you're sitting in a pizza shop eating pizza. Okay. That's a simple anything, right? Your child comes home, starts talking to you. Uh, you start thinking, oh, it'd be so nice if I took this kid on a, on a, on a date. Right? Hey, you want to go on a date? You spoke it out. Next thing you know, you're on a date. Boom, 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 boom. That's the progression of how things work. Exposure, thought, speech, action. Okay? That's how, that's how our life works. Now, in our lives, we have exposure thousands of times a day to thousands of things. Many of them we don't even realize it because we're almost like numb to like what it was. How often does somebody say to you like, oh, did you notice this? And you're like, oh, I... I noticed something funny, but I didn't really internalize like what I was even seeing. That's because the exposure to you, you're almost like immune to that thing. So someone might say, oh, did you notice that they were wearing this? Or did you notice? And you're like, I didn't even hop that. Like it didn't even process in my brain. But sometimes something hits you and you start to think about it. And you're like, hmm, that's a little funny. Like what's going on here? You may turn to your friend and say like, hey, this is a little funny. Like, what's going on here? And then you may take action on that thing. That is the three-step progression of how Everything in our life works when it comes to <coughs> precious, meaning you do what you do, you see what you see, you think what you think, you speak what you speak, you do what you do, and then you have to now stop and say to yourself, blah, blah, blah. is my relationship with this good? So for example, let's say somebody around you is not dressing tzinias. I know it's everybody's favorite topic, okay? So maybe you don't even chop it, so it's not a thing, but maybe you do chop it. And then you start thinking about it. Well, if she could wear it, then why can't I wear it? You start talking to your friend. And then next thing you know, your tzinius level changed. Why? Because you had exposure. You thought it was normal. And then you did that. Your friend is talking about going to the movies. You, you thought about it. You spoke to your friend about it. Next thing you know, you're watching a movie. Whatever it is, everything in our lives has this. You see your parents fighting. You see someone else's parents fighting. Right? Also not it's so great, but that's, that's the reality. Right? You see that. Right? It becomes that exposure. You think about it. You talk about it, and then next thing you know, that's how you speak, and that's how you act, you know, to your spouse. Everything around us gives us that exposure. And precious is stopping and saying to yourself, now it's time for me to recalibrate. Chazal say to us, the world stands on three things. If you think about it, Taira is your mind, your thoughts. Aveda is tefillah, is what you say. And is what you do for others. Those are the three pillars that every person's world stands on. And if a person recognizes that and stops for a minute and says, how do I get myself to recalibrate those things? That's where things sort of, you know, go to the next level. Now, a a few years ago, I was talking to a guy, an older person, probably somewhere in his 70s, and without going into the whole detail of the story, um, I was talking to him and he was going on and on about how he has the most amazing wife, the best wife, just the greatest wife ever. I was talking to him and I was like, wow, you know, such a lucky guy. I'm so happy for you. I very rarely hear that from people. Most people call me with like the exact opposite. Okay, so this guy was a guy, he had called about a certain thing and he's like, I just want you to know, you're my wife, you'll meet her one day. She's the most special lady. She's amazing. She's great. He's like going on and on. And I was like, 
so happy. It's great. I don't hear that very often. Bar Hashem. Really like special. Like the way he was talking about his life was really something Hashem. Then I had to speak to the wife about something. So, I, you know, we spoke. And at the end, I said to her, you know, I just want you to know you're such a lucky woman because you have a husband who's just head over heels about you. This guy is just, he loves you. He, he, he adores you. He thinks you're the greatest thing since sliced cheese. Like, I mean, this guy's just like, he's amazing. You know, like you're just so lucky that you have this guy in your life. So she said, yeah, you know, like appreciate you sharing that with me. And she said, you know, it's very funny because if you would meet me, it probably wouldn't be like the first thing that you would think about me. So I said, why not? Like, I'm sure you're, you know, a very special lady. Like, why not? So she said, because my, what my husband probably didn't tell you is that I'm actually paralyzed and I can't move. I can't do literally anything and I can't get around. I can't. I'm just I'm just like stuck in this body so I could talk to him and everything. But. If you saw if you saw me, you would think to yourself, "I never." This poor husband is stuck with this poor lady, and she was like, "I know that I'm lucky to have a husband who sees me like this, but the average person in the world would never look at me and see that." And it really made me like take like a step back, like hold on one second. When we think of beauty, if I would say to you, like, "There's a couple; they have a beautiful marriage, right?" Or you think of beauty, think of beauty. It's like that external facade. That relationship that, like, it's Instagram-worthy. It's like this couple that just looks perfect, and everything looks perfect, and the kids look perfect, and everyone matches, like, boom, 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 boom. And they have the children, like, you know, lined up exactly, and everybody's smiling perfectly, and their teeth are exact. That's how you think beauty. And here you hear a couple that, like, this is the most beautiful marriage that I've ever heard anybody talk about their relationship like this. And I think that, <laughs> if I may say, the step that Precious takes you to is developing a new set of eyes literally like almost being blind and then putting on glasses what precious essentially is it's taking a person and realizing that although children who are young we look at them as being adorable and cute and they're amazing the terror calls them ra mina urav they are terrible horrible bad from when they're born why why kid is so cute the answer is because a kid's entire existence is completely egocentric. It's about me. It's about my needs, what I want. And according to the Torah, that's, that's not anything. In order to really be good, what does it mean to be taiv? Taiv means to be in a relationship with somebody, primarily yourself, primarily with a spouse, primarily with your parents, primarily with Hashem where the relationship is about me completely giving myself over to somebody else 100% without expecting anything in return. And I view them not for their external beauty, for their internal beauty, for who they are. That is inherently beautiful. And what happens to people as you go through life is that the people who are smart and utilize this mida, they start to actually see the world in a different light. Rabbi Berkowitz, my Rabbi, he always says this mashal, which at this point in my life, Baruch Hashem, I'm happy to say it's not even a thing for me, but for some people maybe it is. He always talks about the lollipop. He says, if you take a kid and you give a kid a lollipop, you say, you want a lolly? Every kid, I want a lolly. They're very excited about a lolly, right? Even if you take a lolly to a kid and you throw it on the floor, they pick it up, they go, eh, 10 second rule. They wipe it off and they eat it. Even if it's covered in dirt, they don't care. They wash it on their faucet and they're good to go, right? Kids are fine. 
Because a kid sees a lolly, it's sugar, it tastes good, I like sugar, put it in, I like a lolly. An adult looks at a lolly and goes, no. Nah. And even if an adult likes a lolly, if it falls on the floor, most adults go, okay, I don't need it anymore. right? Yeah, maybe I appreciate the sweet, but not that one. Not one that fell on the floor. Because your, your, your whole mentality changes. You, you, you develop a different set of eyes. Oh, but sugar is good. Sugar is sweet. It tastes good. It tastes good, but it's not good for me. Everybody recognizes that at a certain point in your life, you hit that stage where you have that maturity. And Rabbi Berkowitz, he always says that Kedusha is maturity. He calls it the maturity of Kedusha. It's the same thing. It's where you grow to the point where you see your spouse, where you see your parents, where you see yourself, where you see your food, where you see everything around you, your money, your business, your job, everything. Is this helping me really get closer to Hashem? Or am I just convincing myself that because I make brachas and because I check the box and I do what I need to do, therefore everything around me is just enveloped in Kedusha? If, if, if you convince yourself so then you're, you're flying through red light after red light without understanding that you have to stop for a second and take each thing in your life for a minute and do a real cheshben hanafesh. And say to yourself, okay, how do I really stop and separate in my brain how I'm currently viewing this thing and how do I change it? And when I start to think about this differently, I start to talk about this differently, then I will actually act on this differently. That is precious. And it is literally the hardest meter, if you ask me. I think it's easier to stay calm when everything's going wrong. And I think it's easier, you know, all the meters we spoke about, MS and everything, I think they're all easier than this. Because this is thousands of times a day. Every exposure to everything that we have. Think about it. Your clothes, right? Is this egocentric or is this neshama-centric? What your decisions for everything, where you send your children to school. Is it egocentric or is it, this is what's best for my child? When you're interacting with the family members, is this egocentric or is this me contributing to the family, to the greater good, to the bigger picture? You're going to work. Is it about me amassing money or am I using money to help me get closer to Hashem, to give tzedakah, to support other people? Every time you open your mouth, Every time you say something, every time you put something in your mouth or take something out of your mouth, everything you see, everything you do, what's the motivation behind it? And if 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 you do a real cheshben anafesh, I mean, we're literally like 72 hours before, you know, a good day to start doing this little cheshben anafesh, or maybe we're like 27 days too late because we're ready all the way at the end of L. But this is a good time like any time, no matter if you're listening to this right before Tubishvat, It doesn't make a difference, Okay. If, if you're stopping for a minute and you're internalizing that what it means to be alive is to have a starting point and an ending point, and they're both not in this planet, and that your, your body, if you take out your neshama, is dead. So who's lifting my arms right now? My neshama. Who's turning my head right now? My neshama. My neshama is literally like this little thing inside of me that's controlling everything. But yet at the same time, Somehow, miraculously, this body, which is really dead, the body can't do anything on its own, it somehow takes control. It's like the wires get reversed inside somehow. And then the only thing that becomes important is the food, is the ego, they didn't stand up for me, they didn't say these words for me, I need more money, 
I need my clothes to be a certain way. Why didn't they look at me this way? I want my wife to look this way. I want my husband to dress this way. All those conversations and all those things, it's like, whoa, what happened here? The car is driving the driver rather than the driver driving the car. A person stops and internalizes this message that what precious is, is about recalibrating your perception on life, recognizing who's in control, and then executing on that by your thoughts, by your speech, and by your actions. A person does that, that is precious. It doesn't mean that you stop eating. It means you continue to eat in a healthy way. It means you have a beautiful family, and it means you have very nice clothes and a car and everything, because that is helping you in your Avedah Hashem. The minute it gets too much, you realize, well, I don't know who's driving the car anymore. Everything's fuzzy. I can't tell if I'm going through stop signs, yellow lights. I don't know what's going on anymore. So now you need to stop. You need to get out of the driver's seat. Wait till you get sober. Go get sober, and then you can get back into the driver's seat. That's what precious is. It means pulling over to the side of the road and waiting for your blood alcohol content to get back down to normal because you are too shicker on all of the gashmias that you have in your life. And if you realize that really all gashmias is not there to serve the ruchnias, but it's part of ruchnias. It's part of, of, of a normal family. You have a house, and you have a car, and you have food, and you have clothes. You have all those things, and you're focused on that. And every Nisayan that comes into our lives, you have that perception that this Nisayan is from Hashem. It's about Hashem testing me to bring out that inner part of me that's going to make me a better person, however it is that you need to define this Nisayan. But that it's not egocentric. It's not, oh my gosh, my friend got engaged, and I'm miserable, my friend, I'm miserable. Always miserable. I was always miserable. You stop for a minute and you say, let me stop for a second and realize that my whole brain is wired wrong. I have, to, I have to rewire this to focus on my neshama, the bigger picture. Hashem knows that I want children. Hashem knows that I want a husband. Hashem knows that he needs parnasa. Hashem knows that he want, this person needs to be healed. Hashem knows all these things. So let me keep connecting to him. And then all the shafa starts to flow down into my life. And if it doesn't, then there's a reason why it's not. Because we're not in this planet for this planet. We're in this planet. It's just it, This is just nothing. It's all dead. We're here for some other purpose that I cannot understand. The question is not why did this happen because only Hashem knows why. It's what do I do with this information? A person who changes that in their brain, they live a, ha- a happier life. They have real menuchas and nefesh. They grow, go through their life in a way that they're growing on a consistent basis and those around them are also. That is the concept of Prishas. It's very, very hard. If we start and on a daily basis, you have Prishas for literally three minutes a day, not more than that. I don't suggest trying this more than that. Just real introspection, just real mindfulness, like on anything in your life. Today I'm tackling food. Today I'm tackling Nusayin. Today I'm tackling a relation. Whatever it is, if you t- actually take three minutes a day to work in a mindful way on anything in your life, that is precious. And if you do that on a consistent basis, then you become somebody who, when new things are exposed to you, when either a new Nisayan or a new Queen of England dies or a new anything happens, you're able to process it from a Nishama perspective. Your Nishama becomes alive because you're thinking with your Nishama. You're seeing the world through your Nishama. You're not seeing the world through your ego. If you're able to do that, wow, then you become a major, a major person. That's the end of this series. Slacha to everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. For those of you, you could close it. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.